This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Manchester United travel to the Emirates for a top four six-pointer while Anfield hosts a tale of two Merseyside teams. We've got Rome run-ins for the Serie A frontrunners, Der Classica in the Bundesliga, the Copa del Rey final in Spain, and the possibility of PSG clinching a 10th league on a title. I'm Michael LaHood alongside Jimmy Conrad and Jonathan Johnson. K Golasso begins now. Oh, baby, <laughs> let's get after it. Hey, everybody, I'm back. I just invited myself to the party. What's up, JJ? Great to see you as always. Hey, great to be back with you. And yeah, long time no see, Jimmy. All right, LaHood, well, where are we starting, LaHood? Where are we starting? <laughs> We're just going to run right into the mixer. Good to see you again. Jimmy, how's the morning going? What are your thoughts on today? How are you feeling? I feel great, as always. I'm excited to talk about Arsenal, Manchester United. I know that Eric Ten Hag is probably the worst-kept secret of all time. He's now the official manager of Manchester United. And that dude has a lot of work to do. And I think it's going to start with just the culture of the club. It has nothing to do with... On the field, I think at the moment, it's more about can we get an identity? I, I think that's the biggest issue for Manchester United when I watched them play against Liverpool. One team has a clear identity. doesn't matter who plays. They know how they should move within that. I'm talking about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. And the other one looks like everybody's pointing fingers and doesn't really know how to move around and where they should go and how they should press. And that is a recipe for disaster. And we have disaster on our hands, Michael LaHood. But I'm curious <laughs> as to what JJ has to, has to say about Arsenal, Manchester United. Uh, to be honest, I think, uh, you know, players pointing fingers. If if United players could have been bothered to even do that in midweek, they probably wouldn't have received the spanking that they did. Uh, I'm amazed that I'm amazed that Mike LaHood has managed to dig out a United oh, jersey at home. I, I thought know. he would have burned them after what we saw this midweek. Oh man. Hey, you know, when when you're in the hot seat and the host seat, I I've now feel the banter and the banter is warm. The banter is real. I don't give up on my team. You don't give up on your team. I still believe just not right now. I'm, I'm excited for this signing. And question for you guys, how do you think he'll fare, Ten Hag becoming official man, the, the official manager for Manchester United? How do you think he's going to fare in his first season? Uh, I'll go first, JJ. I'll, I'll say that what I find interesting is how long or how much patience is the board going to have? How much patience are the fans going to have? Because I feel like they have to start from the bottom. They really have to get out some players. I'm still surprised that Ralph Rangnick was like, after the Liverpool game, we need to get rid of about 10 people. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're basically killing the end of your season. The players hate you now, uh, 100%. You've made it official. And and you've also now indicated that you hate them in, in, in return. So I don't know what that, that, that locker room is looking like, but uh, it doesn't look fun. So he's not inheriting a, a team on the up and up. He's inheriting a team that's in disarray. And that's just going to take some time. Now, I'm sure Donny Vandebeek is thrilled because he played for him. So when they recall him back from Everton, which isn't going that well either. I mean, it's just from one dumpster fire to another for Donny Vandebeek. I think that Ten Hag, 
again, he's just got to figure out a way to get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. That means the scouts, in terms of the types of players they want to recruit, the ones that are going to fit, the ones that they're going to have to quote-unquote tolerate until Ten Hag can maybe push them out the door for salary reasons or contractual reasons. And then he can start to implement a system that I think looks like a system and looks like an identity for the club. I just don't know if the fans and the board are all going to have the patience to see it out because Manchester United demand results right away. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, to be honest, it feels like I'm on familiar territory because this is kind of the process that PSG go through every ah, couple great of one. years when that. they change coach. Uh, and obviously Pochettino won't be the guy doing the rebuild at Old Trafford as many expected. But I think what I'm really curious to, to see is, first of all, how Ten Hag reacts to, to being in and around the squad, sort of how the, the early days of preseason are. Because as much as Ranić says that there is going to be this max, ma- mass exodus of players, it's not that simple. It never is. You know, PSG, you know, talk big about, you know, moving on a lot of their dead wood, yet a lot of those players are still around. So it's really up to the new coach, how he comes in, tries to get everybody back on side and at least give everyone a clean slate to start with. Because as much as there is a temptation to absolutely, uh, you know, go through every position in the team, you know, do sort of like a stem and root reform. It's not always that easy to pull off, especially, you know, in just a couple of weeks and months that you have in the summer. It's it's something that's going to take years. And I think, you know, there are some early moves there that are going to make this transition a lot more easy. You've already got this overhaul of the scouting department that's coming. Uh, you know, how Ranić moves upstairs as well is going to be very interesting to see, uh, you know, that one playing out. And also, you know, there's always going to be sort of unexpected rapports built up between a new manager and players, you know, players that perhaps we're thinking right now, they're definitely going to be out of the door. And then suddenly, you know, first day of training, Ten Hag sees something that he thinks that he can use. I'm, you know, I'm curious to see who those guys are going to be, but I was speaking to Fabrizio Romano, a good friend on the show uh, just the other day. And I asked him a similar question. And to be honest, I share his point of view at this moment in time. I think it's a very, very difficult task that he's walking into and one that I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, that confident that he's going to succeed in at this moment in time. I certainly don't wish him failure. I I just think that there is a lot of work for him to do, uh, you know, even before he hits the pitch with the players on day one. I mean, Mm. really quick, I know we want to talk about the Arsenal game, but who, who, JJ? I mean, who, who can come in and salvage this? I don't know if there's any name out there that I can think of that. I can make. Okay, go ahead, Mike Lude. (laughs) No, kidding, kidding. (laughs) I, I really don't know. I don't know. That name, it's not readily available because every single manager is going to need a little bit of time. We thought Antonio Conte could be the solution, and he struggled at Spurs for a while. He, he had an initial imprint on it, and then it dropped off, and now it's coming back up. But but even the top managers in the world would struggle with this situation. It's a poison chalice at the moment, but we'll see if Ten Hag can be a miracle worker. Mm, speaking of miracles that happened this week, the Arsenal doing the business against Chelsea, which sets up a marquee matchup between Manchester United and Arsenal at the Emirates. What do you guys think about this game? JJ, we'll start with you. United coming off an absolute battering at Anfield. It doesn't get any easier. They go to to an Arsenal team at the Emirates. It's coming off a massive win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, for me, it's difficult to look past Arsenal at this moment in time. There, You know, there, there is that bounce, that feel-good factor. You know, they've gone to Chelsea, come away with a very impressive win. And, you know, suddenly things look a bit brighter again. You know, their they're hopes of cementing a top four finish, uh, you know, have received a massive boost. And 
you know, I feel like we've we've said this so many times uh, about United in the last couple of weeks. You know, if they're anything but fully focused, and and let's face it, they rarely are uh, these days. Uh, you know, the, the the chances are they're going to gift their opponents. Uh, you know, at least a point. You know, we've seen teams like Everton. Uh, you know, beating them, getting unexpected points recently. I don't see that changing. I mean, especially as as you guys have already mentioned with, you know, Ranyak coming out and saying that half these guys could be on the move uh, this summer. I don't think that's going to help, uh, you know, change the mood either. You've got the, the whole Paul Pogba situation simmering, you know, Maybe there's even an argument that now it's official, uh, you know, uh, that Ten Hag is coming in. Uh, you know, maybe there's even some communication now between Ranić and Ten Hag where they can start saying like, you know, okay, you know, this guy's not going to be here next season. You know, maybe we start using other players so that Ten Hag can actually get a look at some of these guys ahead of time mm-hmm. instead of, you know, looking at players performing who don't want to be there, who we know are not going to be there uh, beyond this summer. You know, obviously, uh, you know, a thinly veiled uh, mention of Paul Pogba there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he might be headed to Real Madrid, or at least that's the rumors I'm seeing right now, JJ, or even back to Juventus, which would be interesting. I think this could be his last summer, though, and, and with United, and we'll see how that all plays out. Well, talking about Arsenal, though, what a win. And and uh, kind of coinciding with Chelsea, self-destructing in this particular season. I know that's a, they play West Ham, so that's an interesting uh, time for them to rebound. I will say this Arsenal team's a bit confusing. They'd lost four out of their previous five heading into the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge. They lose, you know, they lose to Brighton, they lose to Crystal Palace, and they go to they go to Stamford Bridge and get a crazy result. And, and uh, something I think they can kick on and give them some some confidence to finish in top four. Uh, Mikel Arteta said after the game that that was their game in hand. And as you just saw with the table that's up there, both them and Spurs are tied for four. They're 57 points. Uh, better goal difference for Spurs. They play against each other very, very soon. So that could determine who finishes and gets a spot in the Champions League. And Arteta challenged his team. He basically said before the game, he said this afterwards, if you guys want to be playing in the Champions League next season, you have to show that you can compete against the biggest teams that do play in it regularly. And I think the team really responded to that. And if that's the Arsenal we're going to see for the rest of the season, I think they will get the top four spot. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I think with regard to United, Cristiano Ronaldo did train uh, the, after playing against Liverpool. Obviously, he's going to be given all the time that he needs and should be given all the time that he needs. But he seems like a guy that wants to play, that, that there's a lot of escapism. From, from your sadness and sorrows by getting on the field and getting after it. If he comes back, that could be a motivating factor, an X factor in terms of emotional X factor that could maybe see United get a result here or at least get a goal in some capacity. So I don't know. When, when it comes down to which team has an identity and which one doesn't, I'm going to lean on the one that does have the identity. I think Arsenal will get the win here. And if you want Arsenal to win and both teams to score, because I could see a 2-1 here in favor of the Gunners, mm. that's plus 300. I like that value a lot. Mm. I love your thoughts, fellas. And now let's jump to Liverpool-Everton. But just one thought on that. I think this is going to be one special run-in for Arsenal and Spurs. North London Derby, I think that's where the Premier League could be decided for that fourth spot. But moving on to Liverpool-Everton, Merseyside Derby, and really a different sort of Merseyside Derby. Two teams at two different ends of the table. Super Frank and Jurgen Klopp going toe-to-toe, Liverpool-Everton. What are your thoughts going into this one? Liverpool, just a runaway train, freight train, Everton. After United win, looking back to woes as we see it. I'll go first on this one, JJ. I This is going to be like a training exercise, I think, for, for Liverpool. Very similar to what we saw against uh, Manchester United, who's another big rival. I don't see 
where Liverpool are going to lose this game. There's really no narrative you can give me other than Richarlson. He's going to get one or two chances. And if he can score those chances, then, then maybe I'll give Everton a little bit of fight in them. But we just saw this past midweek that against Leicester, Richarlson had two clear-cut chances, missed them both, and then had to have one super crazy deflected goal go in at the mm-hmm. end for them to salvage a 1-1 draw, which I think could be a very valuable one point because that puts them five points ahead or four points ahead of, of Burnley for that last spot as opposed to them losing would only been three. That again, a little bit more dicey. We call him we call him Frank Lamfrod over here because I don't know how uh, how good of a of good of a manager he really is. But but they have to score their opportunities, and I'm still not sold on their their defenders. I mean, ultimately, their Achilles heel this whole season. Everton has been back their back line, and then you need Jordan Pickford to probably make like 15 saves a game, and that's never a good look for that to happen. I just don't see at any point where Liverpool loses this game outside of them doing it to themselves, kind of like we're seeing with Chelsea, who are self-destructing and creating really bad errors, which is then giving the other team confidence and that other team goes on to get the result. But this Liverpool team's peaking at the right time. This is this is one-way traffic. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, JJ? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I can't really see past Liverpool for this one. I mean, it's one of those games where, I mean, I guess you could throw out the old cliche that the form book goes out of the window because it's a, it's a rivalry. But... I mean, in terms of form, you know, I really expect Liverpool to, I mean, to be honest, I would have expected more the result that we saw uh, midweek uh, from Liverpool against mm-hmm. Everton uh, than against United. But it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it past Jurgen Klopp's men to, to do it to both teams at this moment in time. You know, they just, like like you said, you know, the runaway train uh, is, you know, is a, is a good way of looking at Liverpool at the moment because they are, they have that momentum going for them. Uh, and it's difficult to see anyone stopping them, uh, you know, Going up against uh, Villarreal in, uh, in in the Champions League, I don't see them being stopped there either. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know for for me, it's going to take a lot to stop Liverpool. Uh, you know, mm. crushing all who stand in their way between now and the end of the season. But I actually think the thing that could impact this uh, this game is actually the match that's going to be played after we finish recording this. We're recording on the the Thursday. You've got that clash between Burnley and Southampton in the Premier League. That could really light a fire under Everton. And when we saw them with their backs against the wall, yeah, okay, they were up against a United side with very little left to play for this season. But also at the same time, you know, when they have that sort of desperation, you see teams start to, to pull performances, pull unexpected results out of the bag. And for Everton to even walk away from this game with a point, you know, that would be a, a, a big, big bonus. So I think if Burnley were to win on Thursday, you know, that suddenly puts a lot of pressure on Everton to, to go out and get that result, put in the sort of performance that their fans need to see from them against Liverpool, even if they were to go down valiantly, you know, give themselves some hope between now and the end of the season. Because right now, it would look pretty bleak, especially if Burnley claim all the points against the Saints later. Uh, mm. one, one thing too, LaHood, I'll jump in and say that that is great, great insight, and that Burnley game will have massive influence, I think, on this game as well. So I love that, JJ. But yeah. but it's the fact that Liverpool get to host leg one against Villarreal next week. If they had to travel down to Spain for leg one, I could see maybe Jurgen Klopp rotating his squad, feeling like, all right, we're going to have to travel. We have to think about all these things that go in. They've had the benefit. The scheduling gods have looked down upon them where they had Man United at home, Everton at home, and now they get Villarreal in the first leg of the Champions League semifinals at home. Mm. And there's something about it, and we, we, we all know this. You, you sleep at home, you get to sleep in your bed, you get to, to you know, you're, you're, you're surrounded by incredible support throughout this, this 10 days. 
and everybody's got your back and, and they're playing who's, well. Who's, who's, the, who's the incredible support? The cuddly toys in your bed. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying when they walk outside. Hey, you know what? Maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold has a security blanket. I don't even know. Yeah. But, uh, something's going right for him. And I don't know. That's that's a great question. But I would say, uh, you know, just anytime they walk out outside the house, I'm sure they're getting a, a ton of support. Whereas, let's say you were a Manchester United player and you're walking outside your house. Well, probably a different vibe at the moment. So I think uh, I think the scheduling gods have looked down upon them favorably. Mm, yeah, I yeah, couldn't agree with you guys more. You definitely have to like Liverpool's odds in this one. Last thought on this, score predictions. Both of you seem really high on the red side of the Merseyside Derby. What are your thoughts on how this game's going to finish up? I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to say 3-1 Liverpool. And to be honest, I think that shout for an Everton goal is fairly generous. Uh, for, for me, I, I just can't see Everton uh, doing this one. So I'm going to say 3-1. Well, I don't know if I'm high on anything. It's 421, Lahoud, and not 420 anymore. <laughs> but uh, I <laughs> terrible joke. I'm going to say Liverpool win with a clean sheet. I think it's a 2-0 Maybe not, they might not even get into fifth gear at this point to really push. I think mm. Everton's defense is so bad. They score early, and then Everton's going to be trying to push. They get hit on the counter, and that'll be it. But it could be two or three zero. I, that's minus one twelve. I don't like to swim in the negative waters in the betting world, but uh, that's pretty good value. I just don't see. I just outside of Richarlison finishing his one or two chances, he'll get one. It's just a matter of whether he scores it, and I don't think he's in good confidence right now. Good form. Mm. Moving on to another London derby, Chelsea versus the Hammers. It's hammer time from West Ham. <laughs> Big matchup for the Blues after getting spanked at home against Arsenal, the mighty Arsenal. And West Ham coming off just European glory and putting themselves with a really good chance of winning a European trophy. Going into this game, so many storylines. David Moyes getting the best out of his West Ham team. What do you think of West Ham in this matchup? I mean, I think West Ham right now, uh, you know, they're, they're treading on, on, on quite fragile ground because uh, you know, I, I was happy to see them uh, advance uh, in, the, in the Europa League as much as it came at the expense of Lyon, who I did hope would go all the way uh, for the good of French football. I have I know a lot of people who support West Ham and are absolutely delighted with this European run they're going on at the moment. I felt that they lost a bit of momentum uh, recently in the, in, in the Premier League in the shakeup for, for Europe. Uh, and I think they're coming into this game against Chelsea at the right time. You know, Chelsea, they seem to have been deflated a little bit uh, of late, uh, you know, just gone out of Europe, uh, you know, now getting uh, absolutely spanked at home against uh, Arsenal. And then, you know, now coming up against West Ham, uh, you know, a local rivalry and West Ham suddenly have a bit of wind in their sails again, uh, you know, after their exploits in Europe. So for me, I think that this is, you know, great timing really for, for this match for David Moyes and his players. And I think that West Ham will certainly feel confident or more confident uh, than they did, say, a week or so ago uh, about taking uh, taking the points here. And even so, I think, you know, still a point at this stage of the season is, is not completely uh, disastrous for them. Yeah, I, I agree with JJ. I'd also add that West Ham are five points adrift from fourth. And mm-hmm. they have played one more game than Arsenal and Tottenham. So it's not looking as good maybe have that fight. Obviously, every point's going to matter, and they still want to get into the Europa League. Now, they can still get into the Champions League next year if they win the Europa League. They're playing against Eintracht Frankfurt in leg one of the semifinals uh, this upcoming week at the London Stadium. So they have that to look forward to as well. This Chelsea team, though, after conceding four goals at home for the second consecutive game, uh, 
it's it's a crazy stat here. They've conceded as many goals at Stanford Bridge in two matches in April as they did from October to March of this season. That's wild. And obviously, they have struggled uh, Chelsea at home as of late. They've lost four out of their last five at Stanford Bridge. Uh, West Ham have only won two out of the last six away from home. So uh, it's looking like a draw to me. I actually like the 1-1 here, plus 320. Pretty good value there on the draw because I just don't know which version of Chelsea is going to show up. Thomas Tuchel looks incredibly frustrated. And David Moyes and his crew know that they want to be pretty tight and sharp, right? Because that's going to lead you into having some good confidence and, and feeling good about your first leg against the upstart Eintracht team that uh, took care of Barcelona over two legs. So I, I, I could see a draw here. That's me maybe reaching a bit because Chelsea does seem to respond at times, but they seem like, to JJ's point, maybe the wind went out of their sails a little bit when they got knocked out of Europe. I think as well with Chelsea... You know, this the sale process now at the club is dragging on a lot and it's mm-hmm. difficult to argue that it's not impacting the players at some level. You know, there's a there's a yeah. few players that we know are not going to be there next season moving on. Uh, you know, and there's some players who are perhaps, you know, getting close to, uh, you know, not going to necessarily say their expiry date, but, you know, they're just, they're, they're no longer in the primes of their careers. And I think that, you know, Chelsea, once the sale process is taken care of, they have a lot of, tough decisions to make moving forward to the future. And I'm sure Thomas Tuchel is going to want to have a say because he's gotten pretty much the maximum out of this team since his arrival. And I think it's only natural that there was going to be some, uh, you know, downturn in form at, uh, at some point. We just didn't expect it to come in the, in the fashion that it has arrived with those defeats against the likes of Brentford, Real Madrid, uh, and now obviously Arsenal as well. Mm, I love what you say, Jimmy, you and I know that experience from what we went through achieve us and as players, it, it just has so many ramifications. What happens at the top, it always filters down yeah, to the bottom and into the locker room. Final thoughts in the English Premier League for both of you. JJ, you go first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I just, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying for a positive result for Villa because given the way that things have dropped off for us recently, uh, you know, we really could do with a, a pick-me-up. Leicester, not the easiest place to go, uh, and I'm not, particularly confident about our chances but we really need a few points because you know looking at the way that we're dropping down towards that relegation zone uh, I'm grateful for some of the points we picked up recently uh, because I just don't see where the next ones are coming from so uh, aside from that uh, you know when you're looking through all of those fixtures Christian Eriksen uh, you know going up with Brentford against Spurs you know potential audition for a return uh, you know to play for Tottenham from this summer onwards who knows uh, did discuss that earlier in the week with uh, Fabrizio Romano and he suggested it's a possibility so you know I think there's there's no shortage of, uh, of, of tasty fixtures this weekend. Okay, conveniently left out my Newcastle, who are above Aston Villa in the table, by the way. Three straight wins on the trot. I mean, almost top half of the table, tied with Brighton on 10 points. And listen, we haven't actually even really flexed and spent our big oil money at the moment. Bruno Guimaraes, obviously, uh, now that he's getting valuable minutes, really pr- proving his worth. But, uh, uh, yeah, God, I love Eddie Howe. There's no zero, zero wins when Eddie Howe took over, and now they've got 10. It's unbelievable. I just want to give a shot. They take on Norwich. I mean, they can keep this going. Imagine them scraping into the top half of the table after the first at the start of that. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Also, for you betters out there, uh, Hingman's son has scored every time he's played against Brentford this season, plus 100 to score any time, and he is in good form, something to keep an eye on. Mm. That's Jimmy Conrad, folks. He'll be here all day <laughs> clapping it up, jerseying it up. Gotta love it. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back with much more. Der Classica, Copa del Rey Final, PSG, Serie A. Stay tuned. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to K Golasso. Michael LaHood here, joined by Jimmy Conrad. Well, you can call him James on this show because that's, that's his fine. official government name. <laughs> One James Conrad and the other part of the J team, Jonathan Johnson. Now let's shift. We talked English Premier League. Let's shift over to Italia, Serie A. Some marquee matchups happening, starting with Inter, Inter versus Roma. Jose Mourinho, revival a bit for Roma. Inter, they seem to have caught their second wind. And now we have a title race at the top and a lot to play for in this game. Take me through how this matchup's going to fare out. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first on this. I just want to give a shout out to Inter because and Juve. Because the midweek they had the semifinals of the Coppa Italia. They're playing against each other in the finals. The first time that Juve and Inter, who probably the biggest rivalry in all of, of Italy, are facing each other in the Coppa Italia final since 1965. So I thought that was a pretty wow. cool stat. Um, with regard to, to this particular game, Inter, as we're seeing the table, they're, they're two points behind Milan at the top, but they have a game in hand. Roma has been fantastic. They, under Jose Mourinho, for, for all the hate that that guy gets and everybody thinks he's washed and he's passed it and all that, they haven't lost a game in Serie A since January 9th, and that was the 4-3 loss at home to Juventus, when they should have won. They were up 3-1, and then Juve pulled off some incredible, improbable comeback. And prior to that, they lost to, to AC Milan at the start of the year. But since then, unbeaten in Serie A. Now they're currently sitting in fifth for a Europa League spot. Only five points behind Juve. So they're still kind of scraping there with five points left to go. If Juve drop off at all, it could spell trouble if Roma gets after it. That said, I think uh, Inter the better team. Uh, I, I still think that there's a conversation to be had about Edin Dzeko being handed over to Inter Milan to fill the, the boots of Romelu Lukaku. And I think he's done quite admirably given his age in particular. There may be some grief there. Dzeko used to be the captain of Roma. And, and the fact that they kind of just discarded him. I mean, as a player, and when you get discarded by one team, you definitely want to stick it to him when you had a chance to, to make that happen. But Tammy Abraham and Roma have been in good form. Zaniolo is starting to really peak at the right time for them to potentially push into the top four. This is a great match. I, I think that... Inter probably have a little bit too much, all things considered. Uh, but I wouldn't pass put it past Mourinho, given the form of Roma, to maybe scrape out a draw. I don't see Roma winning this one, but I could see a draw. How about you, uh, JJ? Yeah, I think uh, Inter absolutely have to avoid defeats in this one. And for, for me, and I know I, I risk sounding like a broken record every time we speak about Serie A recently, but in that title race... 
you know, it's all going to play on that game in hand that Inter have. I feel that's sort yeah. of their trump card, really, in this uh, in this title race. And until every team has played the same amount of games, we're not really going to know how this title race is going to shape up. But, uh, you know, it's not necessarily in that game in hand, uh, you know, where things will be won and lost if they do drop points against some of the more difficult opponents. And Roma, uh, you know, sort of coming into, you know, the resurgence that they've enjoyed over these last couple of months, uh, you know, suddenly... Uh, this this game is a lot more difficult than it would have looked uh, sort of a, a couple of weeks or months ago. So Inter, I think they absolutely cannot lose this. Uh, and Roma, you know, will be one of their sterner tests between now and the end of the season. But I, I agree with Jimmy. I think that Inter maybe just have a little too much for Roma, but that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that they're not going to be made to work hard, uh, you know, for anything that they take away from this game. And like I said, I don't think a point would be uh, the worst result because it's not only them who's going to face, uh, you know, challenges between now and the end of the season. Every team gunning for that title, uh, you know, has tough fixtures coming up. From one part of Rome to the other, let's shift to the other match. Lazio versus Milan. Milan not looking like the same team that beat this interside in a marquee matchup earlier this year. And Lazio kind of could say the same thing about them, really scraping at the heels of Roma what do you guys see in this matchup? I, I think this game is going to be just as compelling as the previous game we talked about. Well, I'll say that Lazio under Maurizio Sarri have shown glimpses of what they're capable of. You've seen some incredible performances from them, especially early on in the season with Chiro the Hero Moble. Shout out to Chiro the Hero. And, and Linkovic Savage is <laughs> now being linked to Manchester United to potentially fill in the spot of Paul Pogba if he leaves to go somewhere else. So they've got the quality. For me, it was always that back line. And I think that's been, I don't say Everton-esque. It hasn't been that bad. But but they do bleed a lot of goals. And I think Milan could take advantage of it. Rafael Liao, in particular, excellent player. Now, Lazio have played 33 games. And they're on 56 points for that last Europa League spot. Fiorentina are also on 56 points. Shout out to Vincenzo Italiano, the manager, who's done an excellent job, especially after losing Blahovic, to keep that ship floating in the right direction or, or steered in the right direction. And, and... They have a game in hand as well, similar to Inter. So you have this opportunity for Fiorentina, if Lazio continue to drop points, to maybe sneak into that last Europa League spot, which is of interest. And I think that puts a little pressure on Lazio to show up and do something, very similar to what we were talking about with Burnley and Everton. You have a little bit of somebody on your back, ready to go. This Milan team, uh, maybe not the best away from home, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, they're, they're tied with Napoli, the best away team in the league. So I'll take that one back. They have 11 wins, four draws, and one loss away from home. Maybe they feel a little bit better playing away from home and then playing in the San Siro. Maybe the pressure of the home fans can get to teams at times if you're not. I don't know. I'm, 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 I feel like I'm making stuff up at this point. But this Milan team, it, it's, uh, it has the quality. I just was a little disappointed in how they played against Inter Milan in the in midweek in the Coppa Italia semifinals. Losing 3-0. Uh, I just thought they weren't as sharp as they needed to be to have a chance. I mean, they're 90 minutes away from going to get a trophy or have a chance to win a trophy. And I just thought they threw up a lemon of a performance. Now, Lataro Martinez was excellent and his movement was great. And Inter just seemed like they were making the plays that mattered. But but we'll see how Milan responds. I think that Stefano Pioli, actually the manager of Milan, is better when they're playing against the bigger teams. But they didn't do that midweek. And they sometimes struggle with the teams that they should beat. And they should beat this one. And I wonder how this one's going to play out. So I'm almost curious uh, about how this goes. Uh, I, I think Milan, knowing that they want to stay at the top, have to win. But sometimes when they know they have to win, it's when they struggle. 
Yeah, there's uh, th- there's a couple of really good points from Jimmy. Not often that we say that, but uh, here we are. Hot man. Good morning. I love it. I love no, no, no. But no, but uh, you know, g- genuinely, um, very interesting take on Milan because I feel like at various times this season and even the season before, we've seen Milan actually be better sort of as a chasing team. They almost don't fare better once they're actually at the top of the mm-hmm. pile. Uh, Good point. I liked, uh, like Jimmy, I was really disappointed with that performance uh, in the semi-final second leg against Inter. It's strange that they could keep the first leg so tight at nil-nil, uh, you know, still have a very strong team out, uh, you know, and and then get blown away 3-0. I mean, I know that a lot of people will say, oh, but, you know, if Ben Essa's goal wasn't ruled out late on, you know, still it was it was quite a pasting, uh, you know, all things considered. So for me, I, I feel like this Milan side, it's part of history repeating itself again, where they're wobbling once they look like, you know, they're, they're, they've got one hand on the title. So although, you know, it wasn't as clear as it was uh, last season, uh, you know, I do feel like this Milan side, they, they almost need to, to, to experience some adversity to have their backs against the wall. And I wonder if they're actually going to wait for the situation to get a little tougher, uh, you know, before they start to pick up. And I could see them dropping points here against a tough Lazio side. JJ, you talked about adversity. They just got adversity in the form of a drubbing and a backside hiding against their arch rival. So this might be the thing that kickstart them as you asked for and just said, let's shift over to Germany. Der Klassiker, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund doesn't get any bigger than that in the German Bundesliga. Bayern seems to be on to another Bundesliga title, but there seems to be a little bit of unsettling and then settlement in this Bayern camp, given what happened in the Champions League recently. How do you think this Bayern team is going to show up? Jimmy, we'll start with you. I think they're going to show up. If they win this game, they clinch their 10th straight league title. To be able to do it at home against one of your biggest rivals, yeah, I think they're going to be up for it and ready to go. I think there's going to be some natural disappointment from getting knocked out of the Champions League in a way and against a team where they probably shouldn't. I think that Julian Nagelsmann, the young manager, has a lot to prove. And I think that they can at times have some naive tactics that don't necessarily go his way. And that's part of the process, right? Not everything is going to go exactly right for for a manager of any age, but especially a younger one. Lewandowski has scored at least two goals against his former club eight different times. So I feel like Lewandowski is going to show up in this one. I'll give you uh, a good betting line once we're we're done kind of chatting about it overall. But when I look at the team that they can – put out there you got Davies on one side you have potentially uh, Nabry on the other and Musiala is starting to get more minutes in midfield under Muller and Goretzka and Kimmich it's just they have some options they're what I'm looking at now is they're going to go into a back three we'll see if it's a back three back four but you have a you have a Dortmund team that when Erling Holland is feeling it and ready to go they can score goals at any time whether he is the one providing the assist or scoring the goal or creating the space because he he dominates so much attention from the other team that his movement alone, if he's making a run into the channel, he's going to probably draw two defenders with him. That's going to open up gaps for other players to jump in. And if Marco Royce, when he's healthy, is obviously a top, top player. If he looks like he's going to start, I wish Gio Reyna was playing in this one because we want him yeah. to get as many big game minutes as possible, but he's out for the season. Jude Bellingham, obviously there's going to be a lot of interest around him to make me make a move this particular summer. So how much can they start to give him more confidence that he's going to be the guy, at least for the upcoming year? Because, you know, they start losing Holland to Man City's and Bellingham to somewhere else. 
they could get really thin. And uh, that means Bayern Munich is going to win the league for the next 30 straight years. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a great game because it's at the Allianz. Because Bayern know that they win this, they get to celebrate in front of their home fans. I think there's only one result, and that's a Bayern win. Yeah, I feel like uh, all of this chat in the last couple of weeks or so, uh, you know, has really built up to this moment where it's an opportunity for Haaland to not put himself back on our radars because he rarely ever slips off it. But, uh, you know, actually to sort of have more of the talking being done on the pitch than off it, because I feel like there's been so much talk about his future recently while we're still waiting uh, to know where he'll be playing his football next season, uh, you know, that it's been a while since we've really seen him doing the business the way that he was uh, sort of a couple of months ago on the pitch. So I'm curious to see if he can bring that one out against Bayern because this Bayern team, they just, they still seem so fragile. I'm really surprised by the developments recently where we're talking about Neuer and Muller potentially, uh, you know, being kept on. I mean, we discussed recently, uh, you know, the, the possibility of moving on some of these older guys. And okay, I understand that you probably need to keep some experience there, especially if Lewandowski is more likely to be off than staying. But, you know, for me, I think I would have only kept on one of Neuer uh, and or Muller. Uh, I don't see sort of what kind of project you can be trying to build, especially under a dynamic Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, like Jimmy said, he's tight, trying a lot of things tactically, maybe naively sometimes. And I think it's just because some of the players in this squad now can't do, you know, what he's asking them to do. They're not dynamic enough. Uh, and I think there's certain positions, certainly in the defence, the, the all French defence. I've, I've said my 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 thoughts about it many times. Uh, you know, I said I just don't think they're they're good enough, uh, you know, for a team of Bayern's uh, calibre. So, yeah, wouldn't surprise me to see them beat Dortmund given their record uh, in this fixture and their record in the league as a whole. But also, uh, you know, I think that you know, if Dortmund really want to give it a go, I think that, you know, it's more likely now than ever that Bayern might crumble and they might actually be able to come away with the results and make Bayern wait that little bit longer for the league title. JJ, we're going to just start labeling every time that French back line substitutes up for Bayern, <laughs> lay crap. Because according to you, they got steep to lay crap. So let's just tie a bow on this. Score predictions. What do you have in this one? Jimmy, we'll start with you. I'll go 3-2 Bayern Munich. Uh, if you if you want Bayern to, to win and both teams to score, plus 115 is pretty good value. And then if you want to add one more layer to that, Robert Lewandowski to score, Bayern to win both teams to score, jumps up to plus 160. That feels like a, one of the certainties in life, death, taxes, and Robert Lewandowski <laughs> scoring. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think it's going to be a great game. If you're going to make some time to watch a game this weekend, this would be one of them. Yeah, I'm going to go for both teams to score. And I'm feeding Lewandowski and uh, and Haaland both scoring as well. So I'm going to go for 2-2. Two, two. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if one team does come out on top and more likely Bayern than uh, than Dortmund. But I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Lahoud, what about you, man? You've been dodging all these predictions. <laughs> uh, leave me out of this, but I'll jump into this one. I'm going for an upset. I think wow. Borussia Dortmund's going to win this one. It's always a high-scoring affair when these two get together. Wow. I'm going 3-2. Borussia Dortmund. That's, that's plus 800 if that hits for you. Come oh, on. Feeling, feeling, feeling the heat from your seats all the way <laughs> wow, from here. Wow. <laughs> yep, I'm going to go and just be bold. Try to be bold as much as I can. But this one I actually really feel. I think Borussia Dortmund have so wow. much to play for. A lot of players, individual, just contracts and things that could be mm. next year. But we're going to move from Bratwurst to Paella. Paella Valenciana. Nice. gotta do what you gotta do uh valencia going up against real betis in this copa del rey matchup betis 
shifting out of that top four race as of late. And Manuel Pellegrini struggling to get some of that, just that hot start that the team had at the start of the season, struggling to keep pace and keep the team motivated. How do you think he can improve this team going into this matchup? JJ, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm, I've really got my fingers crossed for Betis. Uh, obviously, a special place in my heart for them. And I th- it would be huge for them, uh, you know, to be able to add a title, uh, you know, to their collection sort of two decades on from the last one. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, they're starting to falter a little bit. And I feel like they're kind of paying the price now for, you know, so much of what they were enjoying earlier in the season. You know, the great La Liga form, uh, a bit of an extended adventure in Europe as well. And I just wonder if they might have benefited slightly from dropping out of Europe a little earlier uh, because, you know, now we're, we're seeing the limits of this squad and, and, you know, when Betis are fully rested and have a full strength 11, they can play some fantastic football. Uh, you know, once the, the fans get behind them, it, it's difficult to stop them. But they really, they've been, I feel like they've been relying on other teams' results to kind of keep them in that race in the top four in recent weeks. I mean, we were speaking, I think, ahead of last weekend about how severe, uh, you know, maybe losing to Real Madrid might offer them a door back into the top four. But it's just one that, you know, they've, they've not really been able to, to to make the most of at this moment in time. And I think coming up against the Valencia side, who will also be hungry for silverware, uh, you know, given how they used to, you know, sort of be in the running for all of the, the, the domestic titles in Spain, whether it's the league, whether it's the cup. I... I f- I fear for Betis because I don't want them to sort of get blown out uh, because they're, you know, fatigued now because of everything they've given in the season so far. But alternatively, you know, if there is one game to prioritize between now and the end of the season for Betis is this one, you know, the the chance to to write themselves into folklore, send Wekian out with, uh, you know, silverware just before he retires. You know, it would, it would be a, a fantastic next chapter to, to what's been a great story. I don't think we really need to sort of, you know, cast light on everything that Pellegrini has, has done and, and say that it's not been good enough because to get Betis to where they are at this moment in time, for them to even be a factor in a potential race for the top four, uh, you know, is already a fairly significant achievement in itself. Yeah, I want to ride the coattails of uh, that statement about Betis. I, I really appreciate what Pellegrini's done. He's on the precipice of winning them their first Copa del Rey since 2005. They've only won two in their history. The other one was in 1977. Wow. Valencia's won eight. The last time they won was in 2019 when they beat Barcelona in the final. Now, Betis are also three points off of top four with five games left to go. Sevilla do have a game in hand. They're three points behind Sevilla for that fourth spot. But if you would have asked any Betis fans, hey, would you want to love to be in a Copa del Rey final? If, you know, be in this situation at this point in the season? They'd be like, hell yeah, dude, that would be amazing. <laughs> Pellegrini is a goddamn miracle worker. And, and that's what's played out. And I know that they lost this past week at home, which was a crucial loss this midweek to, to Elche, which has to be crushing, but they're playing against a Valencia team. That's only won one out of their last six and, and Betis beat them earlier in the season four to one. And sometimes you just have a team's number. I did think that Betis who did rest a player or two against Elche will be a little bit more ready to go in this. And when I look at who Betis had to play along the way to get to the final, I mean, they beat Sevilla, they beat Real Sociedad, they beat Real Valladolid. I mean, they beat some pretty good teams. Then when I look yeah. at what Valencia and who they had to beat, the, the only they had Cadiz and Athletic Bilbao. That was that was the only two significant La Liga teams that they had to beat to get to this point. And I just feel like Betis maybe cut their teeth against a little bit better teams with all due respect to Cadiz and, and Bilbao. I, I like Betis to do the business. I like Juan Mi and Nabil Fakir and Sergio Canales to to 
really run that that front three. Uh, hopefully under Borja Iglesias. I love the panda. He's the best. And, and so, uh, and then with Valencia, I guess the only thing that I'm pulling for is maybe Yunus Musa from a U.S. men's national team perspective. I don't know if he's going to start this one. From what I've seen from projected lineups, it doesn't look like he's going to start, but I'd love for him to be, again, very similar to what I was saying about Giorena. We want our younger players to get as much experience in the biggest of games as possible because that's going to help us when World Cup time rolls around. So I hope Yunus Musa has some type of involvement, a significant involvement in this game. And I guess that would be the number one thing I'm looking for. But I think Betis are going to win this one. And it would be an incredible achievement for the club and Manuel Pellegrini in particular. I think as well, when you're looking at guys like uh, Fekir, I mean, you look at what what's going on behind the scenes at Betis at the moment, some of the contract extensions that they've managed to pen. This is a squad that's now going to be kept together, uh, you know, sort of for the foreseeable future, at least, uh, you know, for another season. And I think if, you know, if they've been able to show this, this campaign, you know, if they manage to get some silverware, uh, you know, to, to take back to, uh, you know, to, to home and, you know, rebuild this summer, add a couple of key pieces, you know, they could really be a force to be reckoned with uh, next season. I mean, we've spoken at length about how we expect, you know, the race for the title to be a lot tighter next season, you know, with Atletico Madrid yeah. maybe back in better health. Uh, Barcelona sort of strong from the very start of the season as opposed to basically missing half of this campaign. Uh, you know, and Real Madrid, you know, how will they rebuild? Because as as strong as they've been domestically this season, uh, you know, they they are not getting any younger. We don't yet know whether Kylian Mbappe will be part of the, the rebuild that comes this summer because that rebuild is coming, uh, you know, whether Real Madrid uh, fans like it or not. So I think Betis, you know, a piece of silverware now would go a long way to positioning them well uh, to sort of be a force in terms of European qualification moving forward. What I, I think in this matchup I'm looking forward to most is not just Betis potentially winning Copa del Rey, but could there be a shift in the powers that be in the city of Sevilla, where now the changing of the guard happens if they do this and then pip Sevilla to get that Champions League spot, that fourth spot. So something to keep an eye on as this season. Yeah, that's great. Conclusion. Mm-hmm. And speaking of conclusions, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It continues <laughs> to be the absolute most horrific of times in Paris. PSG, though, have a chance to win another league uh, title. I feel like no matter what happens in the Champions League, this is the storyline we talk about. PSG versus Lund, or how do you, Lens, Lunds, <laughs> excuse my Lons. English. Lunds, is there something to talk about? What is, What do you guys see in this, apart from the obvious, PSG winning another title? It's just been calamity in the Champions League. But is there something to celebrate for PSG? You know what? I'm going to let Jimmy take a crack at this first. Uh, oh, I, I, have, I, I, have, I have a couple of things to say, but one thing that I do want to put to Jimmy as well as his thoughts on this match is we discussed in midweek, uh, Mike and I, with, with James Benj, the, the whole furore surrounding PSG and you know when they win this league on title, which they're going to, it's going to be a record equaling 10th title, which means that they and Saint-Etienne are the only clubs who can put a star above their badge on the shirt. Marseille obviously have one, but that's for the Champions League success. Uh, you know, And there's debate over whether PSG should do it or not, because it sounds like they're not going to do it above the badge, but they're going to do it sort of on the sleeve as part of the, the league badge. So, you know, what do you make of that? We've already had Benj's thoughts, Mike's thoughts, my thoughts. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know what Jimmy's are now. Uh, well, no, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I... I <laughs> I, I guess having it and acknowledging it in a way that maybe isn't as obvious as as maybe Marseille and, and Saint-Antoine do, but 
but I don't I don't mind it on the side. I think that's that's one way to acknowledge it without putting it right in your face. Maybe maybe if they had won it in a in a different way, maybe I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. I have to really kind of think and sit with that, um, you know, by uh, with my smoking pipe and by a fire to really <laughs> contemplate what, what I want to do, how I want to. Bob Marley that. playing in the background. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I got to shout out Bob Marley in my IAX kit, uh, the one that I'm wearing. But when I think about PSG overall, and this is me now deflecting and not answering that question. This, this is this is Jimmy the Marseille fan talking as well. Yes, I, I just I just wonder what happens. You know, there's been some, there's been what happens with this team. That that's that's so they're going to have this moment. They're going to celebrate. They're going to beat Lens and and they're going to go on to win the league on title. An expectation that they clearly have at the start of every season. And and they wanted to regain it after losing it to Lille last season. So I guess there was some some energy to do that. What happens to this team? I feel like you got to blow them up a little bit. I don't even know if Pochettino is going to be the coach. Are they still going to be owned by the same owners? There's a lot of question marks, especially about the players and the contracts and who's going where and who's staying. And this is an interesting of all the clubs that are out there. And I want I can't wait to hear JJ's thoughts. I was just going to exceed my time. But this is the one where I, I have the biggest questions about what happens to PSG this upcoming summer. More so than Manchester United, which might sound crazy to people, but mm. but PSG for me is the one that is so unknown. I don't know which direction they're going to go in and, and who's going to be leading the charge. Yeah, I mean, that does that, some really interesting uh, counter questions from Jimmy. Uh, in, terms of the ownership, in, terms of the, in terms of the ownership, I don't think PSG will be on the market anytime soon. Uh, you know, PSG's Qatari owners still have unfinished business. Uh, you know, they'll want to win that Champions League title uh, at least once. They've got the, the state-of-the-art training center and facility that's in the works as well, which is a couple of years off being finished. So I don't see them. Uh, you know, sort of throwing in the towel anytime mm. soon. But I do expect wholesale changes. I don't think that Pochettino will be there uh, next season. There's still strong speculation that Zinedine Zidane will come in. He is, uh, you wow. know, the Qataris' first choice if they do uh, move for another coach. Uh, and, you know, sporting director position as well. Leonardo expected to move on alongside Pochettino uh, and a number of the players. I mean, Sergio Ramos doing his best to, 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 to <laughs> beg and plead with PSG for another chance after spending yeah. the majority of the season injured, got himself a goal against Angers. I mean, in terms of this game, this this weekend, uh, you know, yeah, they, they expect, given that PSG only need a draw to secure the title, I think that they will, uh, you know, regardless of the result. Uh, I'd rather that Lens at least manage to get a point because they've managed to get themselves back in European contention. And I think for Lens to get back into Europe would be huge for French football. I mean, you look at the, mm. the, the, the passion of their fans you know, and some of the clubs that are challenging for Europe this season in France, Strasbourg, Lens, you know, guys... Guys like that, you know, they bring so much, uh, you know, to French football and to have them back on the continental stage would be fantastic. So I hope that PSG don't run up a cricket score against them, uh, you know, which they can do with their eyes closed at times, you know, given the, you know, the resources that they have. But, uh, you know, we, we will see. Really, it's not really about this, uh, this result. It's about what comes next, because once PSG have that title confirmed, they can start to, to put things in motion, you know, whether it's the star above the badge on the shirt, whether it's the new coach or the new sporting director. Uh, you know, I think we'll start to learn a bit more about what PSG's future looks like once they have that title sewn up. 
Mm, speaking of wholesale changes, Kaylor Navas hinting at the summer exit. Interesting choice. Come Donna to Newcastle. Rama. Come to Newcastle. <laughs> Donnarumma not looking as secure as he did for Italy in the Euros. So something to keep an eye on if you are a mm. PSG fan. So we'll do score predictions in this one. I'm, I'm kind of hesitant because we talk about cricket scores. How do you see this one playing out? Jimmy, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'll say given what's at stake and what they want to do and how they want to finish. You know, I'll go, I mean, with the 3-0 when they had that the week against Angers, uh, I will say, Angers, Angers I'll say 3-0. 3-0, I'll go back-to-back 3-0s. I'm going to say 3-0. JJ? I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for something a bit tighter than that. I'm going to say 2-1 PSG. I really, I really wouldn't, uh, I, I really wouldn't be disappointed with the draw. Uh, like I said, I, I hope that Lance managed to stay in contention in Europe. But it's going to be difficult coming up against a PSG in, uh, in, in, in festive atmosphere. And on the point of uh, Kalon Navas as well, I mean, I think we all know what Navas was getting at. You know, age alone, Donnarumma is the logical choice for PSG to continue with. But Navas, for a team to, to you know, potentially gamble on for the next two to three seasons, if he's given the number one role, which he's still capable of being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think he'd be a fantastic pickup for, for many clubs around Europe. And I'm, I'm surprised, or I would be surprised if there are not big teams in the Champions League, uh, you know, sort of snapping, uh, you know, knocking on PSG's door, trying to snap him up. Yeah, I... I uh... I agree with you on that. I, I, I still think it's going to be three zero, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, JJ, I just want to put this out there. My dogs heard you talking about a close game, and they were howling, saying, "What the hell is he thinking?" This is going to be so right on cue. All right, all right. Final thoughts on just this weekend and what's at stake anywhere around the world, Jimmy. Yeah, I'll go MLS. There's a big mm. Texas Derby that's happening. We got FC Dallas taking on the Houston Dynamo. Both of those teams survived the Open Cup. There's been a couple of MLS teams that got knocked out of the U.S. Open Cup this midweek, which has been exciting to see. That's why we love the cup competition when the smaller teams have a chance to knock off the big teams. But in uh, Austin, the other Texas team did get knocked out by San Antonio. And Mike, you know all about that, which is a yeah. little unfortunate. But I will say that Dallas versus Houston Dynamo, is a good one. They're both unbeaten in their last six. They both are starting to find their identities under new coaches. And not only that, uh, Dallas, or excuse me, Dynamo will take on Austin FC the following week. So they've got back-to-back Texas Derbies. FC Dallas will have Houston, and they play Sporting Kansas City, who even when I was at Kansas City playing, playing against Dallas was one of our big rivals at that time. So a couple of big rivalry games for the Texas teams, and I'm curious to see how they play and respond to uh, some big ones coming up. Well, for me, I've got uh, two things. One, while finish in France, and uh, that's that uh, the news that Stephanie Frappa has been elected to be the referee for for this year, this season's Coupe de France final. It'll be the first time a female has overseen a game there. So, massive round of applause for her. Second, okay, fantastic applause. Yep. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that's great. No, that's great. <laughs> I'll, I'll se- se- second, and I wanted to actually throw this into our Italian chat, but seeing as we missed it, I'll come back to it. Have we been paying attention to Salernitana at the bottom of the table recently? Suddenly, out of nowhere, within a, you know, they actually act- now have a shout at, at surviving. It's crazy. Uh, you know, on 22 points with Genoa, Venezia. I mean, I know that, you know, there's still six points off of uh, Cagliari, but suddenly if they manage to pick up a few more points, you know, 
that unthinkable survival, uh, you know, could could actually come into being, which I found fairly interesting. I mean, they've been useless up until recently, and you do wonder if too much damage has been done. But six points uh, on the bounce is with the game uh, in hand. Pretty good going with a game yeah, in with hand. A game in hand, and mm. they play Cagliari at home uh, May first. No, excuse me, May eighth. That's I'm, I, now I'm like tuned into it. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. JJ. <laughs> this is why JJ is on. That's why he's here? JJ why he's here? Why he's here? No, guys, thank you for getting up early. No, JJ, you have us beat by hours and beat by. I like. I like to think that I'm up. I like to think that I'm up before five in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you you never know. I I sometimes question what Ben's is doing over in London, but that's for another time. It's all that that Premier League football. It's all that Premier League football to sleep yeah oh geez you watch Manchester United long enough you'll you'll be asleep as well uh, no thank you both for being on the show I'm Thanks, Michael Lude, Jimmy Conrad thank you very much as always love the shirt JJ pleasure being on with you so glad that we sorted out what to do with the star for PSG if you enjoyed this show thank you for listening or watching hey. follow K Galasso on Twitter at K Galasso pod subscribe to K Galasso on YouTube and follow K Galasso wherever you get podcasts do if it. you like the show leave us a rating a review until next time ciao Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.